Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 411. We got Michelle Tillis Letterman back, and she is bringing some more good stuff, talking about being a connector, the key benefits, the mindsets, how to do it well. So you'll learn, one, the three reasons people connect with each other. Two, why do you become a better connector, even if you don't think you need to network right now? And three, tips for easier relationship maintenance. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep411. Now here's Michelle's story. Michelle Tills Letterman is one of the Forbes 25 top networking experts. She is the author of several books, including the internationally known The 11 Laws of Likeability and her latest, The Connector's Advantage. Michelle is the founder and CEO of Executive Essentials, which provides customized communications and leadership programs. She's a former finance executive and NYU professor who is a regular in the media, appearing on NBC, CBS, Fox, NPR, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNBC, and more. She holds degrees from Lehigh University and Columbia Business School. So thanks to Michelle for taking some time to be with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Michelle. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast for the second time. I love the title of your podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I like your titles as well. You know, I, I really think that what is that the copywriters say? Uh, clear beats clever. It's like, oh, I know what I'm getting here. It's interesting. I had struggled so much with the title for the new book because I love alliteration. The 11 Laws of Likeability, Executive Essentials, that's my thing. And I originally titled the book The Connector's Club. And I got some feedback that it sounded exclusive and it sounded elite. And I said, that's really not what I'm trying to project. I want people to realize that being a connector is accessible. And so I, I let go of the alliteration and we we landed on the connector's advantage. Well, now you got my wheels turning in terms of alliteration. It's like connector's club beats uh, connector's cabal in terms of... <laughs> being less exclusive. I tried the connector's core. <laughs> I was like, I gotta find my alliteration. But it just, you know what? The truth is what I'm talking about is the advantage of being relationship-based in your results. So that's what you get, right? <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, so I, I would definitely want to dig into that. But I also first wanted to hear, you've been doing some connecting uh, all over the world, having visited over 70 countries. And I want to get your take on, is there a country you think more people need to visit because they just don't even know how cool it is? First thought about that question, I thought our own country. Oh, there you go. America. Yeah, there's so much. I will tell you, even after, I think at the time I'd been to 60 plus countries and I went to Yellowstone. 
And I was blown away. It was one of the most incredible places I've ever been. And it's it's right here. We don't actually visit our own country enough. So I think we need to do that more. But if I was actually answering the question that you were asking, two of the places on my top five list of places I've been are Thailand and Africa. Oh, good, good. <laughs> now, Africa, Africa's kind of broad. Uh, there, there's so many places to visit within Africa. And I went from South Africa up to Central Africa, and I'm going back. So I can't even narrow it down. There's just so much to see. Well, that's cool. That's cool. And, and in Thailand, what, what made it great? I guess I'm thinking that I've never been there, but I've looked at it and I was intrigued by just how far a dollar could go and custom made clothing and more. You know, I did a lot more custom and clothing in Vietnam. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I was in Thailand on 9-11 when the towers came down. Um, and so how that, how I was kind of taken care of by the people on this remote island and the people are amazing. The food is amazing. And they have everything. The amazing beaches, the jungle, uh, the wildlife, the city. It, it just had everything. Okay. Thank you. Duly noted. <laughs> Suggestion logged. Okay, cool. Well, well, now I want to hear about your book, The Connector's Advantage. What's sort of the key idea here? The big idea behind the book is that there are certain ways that connectors think, act, and interact that enable stronger connection. And the advantage of being relationship-based is that you'll get results faster, easier, better. I know it's not correct grammar, but it just, that's it. Faster, easier, better. And when when we can infuse these mindsets, anybody can infuse these mindsets. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I was saying before about it being accessible to all. There is no such, I mean, there is such a thing as a non-connector, but there's very few people that are truly non-connectors out there. Right. Well, that's what I guess what I'm wondering. When you say being a connector, being a relationship based, you you achieve these results, you know, faster, bigger, stronger, uh, better. But what would be the alternative? Like the the alternative perspective, if uh, of being less relationship based. A lot of times, people talk about it as being transactional in your interactions. Okay, gotcha. I always say people are connecting for purpose, connecting for need, connecting for themselves, and it is a mindset of valuing the relationship. Here's how I equate it in life. When you think back in time to the agricultural age, land was the greatest asset that a person could have. And in the industrial age, it was machine. And in the information age, it was, you know, technology. We're now in the network age. And the greatest asset you can have are your relationships. And if you think about them from a company perspective, it's their people. When we say non-connector, A non-connector is somebody who doesn't believe in the value of relationships. A non-connector is somebody who is so averse to socializing and to placing any importance on the people. Uh That's what I'm saying. It's, It's very limited, but there's an entire spectrum. It's not you are or you're not. It's where do you fall on the spectrum of connection? You could be emerging. You could be responsive. You could be acting, but maybe not quite yet a niche or a super or a global super connector. And the truth is, you might not need to be. But the further up the spectrum you go, the easier, faster, and better results you come up with. Well, so I, I hear you, and, and maybe it's just far from my experience or personal belief system. 
to imagine being a, a non-connector. So so maybe the, we'll, we'll calibrate a bit on the spectrum to, because I, I think I've been here before and some listeners have as well. Like, let's say uh, there's someone who's like, you know what, uh, you know, connecting is good and cool. Networking apparently is something I should be doing. But, you know, Michelle, I'm not in uh, a sales or recruitment or marketing type functions. And I'm also quite happy with uh, the job, you know, that I've got going on right now, as well as, you know, my, my friends and the people I hang out with, what is the necessity for me to go about doing some good connecting? Well, that's great. And I'm really happy you have all those things in your life. (laughs) A fictitious person is feeling good. I'm so happy for this person who, who is in that place in their life. That said, we don't stay stagnant in our life. And if you think about all the things that you may want in your life, personal and professional, it impacts both. It is, you might want a new job externally, but you might just want a promotion internally. You are 70% more likely to get a promotion if you have an active mentor relationship. Oh, that's quite a stat. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe you're not in sales, but part of your job might be to make the customer happy. Referrals make all the difference in how you are perceived within the organization. It's part of your brand. It's part of whether or not you get a yes to being on a project that you're really interested in. Do people want to work with you? Um, It's also with health and happiness. There is a statistic. Julian Holt Lundstad out of Brigham Young University did research on social isolation. And there was an equal mortality impact of social isolation as to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. So if you want to be healthier, which we probably all want, we need to be social. We need to be around other people. It's also happiness. If you want to be happier on the job, close work relationships will boost your productivity, boost your job satisfaction, and actually predict your happiness on the job. It's really impacting so many different things. But let's even take it a step further. You have all those things and you're happy and you're happy with your friends. But what about you might not have buy a new house or maybe a, a storm hit and you need some repair work? Finding those referrals and finding those resources. Oh, yeah. It's so hard to get home renovation professionals that are good. Right. Faster, <laughs> easier, better. All I have to do is put a little note out to my network. I need this kind of doctor. I need this kind of resource. And I have results within an hour. And it's not just one person. I'll get multiple results. That's what being a connector can do for you. Okay. Thank you. So, so we have a nice compelling why. (laughs) So let's, let's dig into a bit of the how here. So in your book, you lay out seven connector mindsets. Can you give us a a little bit of a a walkthrough orientation to each of them? Sure. So I'll list the seven for you and and then we can dive into each one a little bit. But what I want to say is that these mindsets are nonlinear. It's not like you have to do one than the other. Yes, I, I write them in a certain order because you have to when you're reading a book, but they enable each other. And you need to think about the ones that you might need to adopt or enhance. And there's some that you probably are doing really well. So the, the seven mindsets of a connector are that they are open and accepting. They have a clear vision. They believe in abundance. Connectors trust. They are social and curious. And social and curious is one mindset. They are conscientious and they have a generous spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And as somebody who is a connector, does that resonate for you? Oh, oh yes, indeed, it does. And I want to dig into a, a little bit of, of all of them. And so, all right, open, accepting, clear vision, believe in abundance, trust, social curious, 
conscientious and generous spirit. Oh, good memory. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I totally have your, your table of contents of your book in front of me. The secrets, insider secrets of the podcaster. So uh, it, it will put these in the in the show notes or the gold nugget. So anyway, all right. Did any of those mindsets surprise you or be like, oh, that's not what I thought of before? Yeah, I would say that the, I, I buy them all. Yeah, I, I'd say, yep, that works for me. Although I think there's the potential for uh, misconception on some of them. So for example, or let's just go with open and accepting. Uh, what does that mean and what does it not mean? Is that one that was surprising or misconstrued? You know, it, it wasn't, but um, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little bit of a treatment to each and then and delve deeper into a couple. Okay, so you'll have to tell me because I'm guessing at the two that I think you'll say for that. So I'm, I'm waiting to see if I'm right. Uh, <laughs> but open and accepting is about not just being open and accepting to other people and to being to connecting, but to be open and accepting of yourself. One of the things I talk about is to accept ourselves and what I call your unique charms. <laughs> <laughs> a unique charm is a quality about yourself that is kind of innate to who you are, but that quality doesn't always work for you, but you don't want to change it either. I like that the way you've packaged that because I think I've got a number of these and they've they've brought me great joy and great pain <laughs> over the course. So, of so tell me about one of your unique charms. Well, I've been told you know that I talk differently in terms, I guess, word choice and 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 you know pacing, meter, enunciation, pausing, and so for some people, you know, that's that's a little off putting. Like that's a little bit weird. Is this guy for real? What's his story? I don't know if I feel super comfortable having that person be my boyfriend. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm thinking about. And other times are just like, oh man, this guy, he's kind of he's kind of fun and different and unique. And I, I enjoy sort of the energy and the vibe of it's just sort of fun and different being be around him. And as a podcaster, I'd say, hey, that's a, that's a differentiator. I'm gonna I'm gonna claim that as a unique charm there. That is a great example of a unique charm. Uh, mine's not that different. You know, I've had multiple ones, but one of mine is that I can talk a lot, uh -huh. which I'm sure you've already picked up on. Uh, and I was always very uncomfortable with silence. I've gotten better at it, but I would just fill it up. And I would, if I ever got nervous, I would just talk more and talk faster. And here's the thing. I can come on too much and I can come on too strong. And that's when it can work against you. But what we talk about in being self-accepting is not just saying, well, this is me, deal with it. It's about saying, okay, in this exchange, it's not working for me, so I'm going to flex. A flex is a momentary, temporary adjustment to enable connection to form with somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's not changing who you are, but it's adapting to enable somebody to see beyond that quirk or that charm. Yes, I like it. Very good. Okay. Well, and so with being open and accepting of, of ourselves as well as others, can you give us an example of what are maybe some barriers or, or, or closedness, non-acceptingness that, that people can mistakenly engage in? Okay. So that was that phrasing that I have to now follow. Non-something. Non <laughs> yeah, I guess the opposite of being open and accepting, closed and non-accepting. Well, so one of the things that we tend to do as humans, which is totally natural, and we should not be hard on ourselves for it, is that we quickly form conclusions. Now, this is natural and this is necessary and has been in the past. You had to determine very quickly with somebody, friend or foe, do I need to be ready for fight or flight? But it's still innate. We have brains that are constantly taking in information, processing it, and forming conclusions. What I try to have people do is to slow their thinking down. So one of the things that I talk about is staying in a place of curiosity versus conclusion. Okay. Yeah. And to stay open to being wrong. 
And I think back to business school. You know, you're put into these cohorts in business school with 60-something other people, and you'd go through your entire first semester in all your classes with these same 63 people. And there was this one woman. Now, your listeners can't see me, but I am about four foot ten and a quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got to count every fraction. <laughs> I got to go with that quarter. You know, I, I want to round up to 411, but the driver's license people wouldn't let me. <laughs> and there was a woman in, in the cluster who was, oh God, you know, 510, former model, born with a silver spoon in her mouth, gorgeous, smart, rich, like you just wanted to hate her, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And she never spoke to me. And I always felt like she was just looking down her nose at me because she literally was looking down at me because she was towering over me. And uh, we went on a spring break trip together. And ended up being placed in the same room. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the worst trip ever. Turns out (laughs) she's really shy. Uh And she just didn't talk to me because she was not an outgoing person and she didn't know what to say. And we were on this trip and I got to know her and we talked and I ended up being a bridesmaid in her wedding. Oh, there you go. And that is where part of me started saying, oh, you know what? I was too quick to look at certain pieces of information and to draw a conclusion and then look to prove myself right. That's what we do. We look to prove ourselves right. And so to being open and accepting is to stay open to being wrong, to stay in a place of curiosity. I give these four questions in the book to help you stay in that place and uh, to question your first assessment. Very good. Well, thank you. That, that, that's well understood and and encouraging. Just like anytime you think that someone doesn't like you, it's like there could totally be another angle to the story. And, and wouldn't it be fun to discover what that, that could end up becoming? Yeah. And sometimes it's not about you. Right. <laughs> it's all about them. We're a little self-centered, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, well, tell us a little bit about the clear vision piece now. So this is one of the ones I thought you might think could be misconstrued. This is one I often get pushback on because people will say, well, connectors are really supposed to be outwardly focused and focused on the other person. And I said, well, yes, they're relationship-based. Relationships are bi-directional. But if connectors are going to get the advantage, results faster, easier, and better, they need to know the results they're looking for. So having a clear vision is about knowing what you want and knowing how to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. In this chapter, one of the lessons I'm teaching is how to ask for what you want and to ask in a way that doesn't put the relationship at risk. Well, what are some of your top do's and don'ts for asking? <laughs> well, there's different types of asks. I'll, I'll give you one example. Uh, my favorite is called the opt-out ask. And I tell you to, when you make an ask, give them the reason to say no. And now I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if somebody wants to say no, they're going to find the way to say no. And if they're uncomfortable saying no, now they want to avoid you and that puts the relationship at risk. If instead you say, if you have the time, there's your excuse. If your company will allow it, there's your excuse. If blank, right? If whatever reason I can tell you that you can use and it would be okay to say no, right? Then I would love for you to do this. And then they could easily say, oh, you know, I am really too busy right now. And then you can say, that's okay. And you live to get a yes another day. I kind of like that. The request I get most often these days is, I want to be in your podcast. It would be kind of refreshing and nice if someone gave me that, um, that upfront permission, which is, if you think this would absolutely delight your audience, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you know, feel free to leave this immediately. <laughs> that would make me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as I've been doing podcasts, you know, at the end, we always have our little conversations and I often say, Hey, if there's another show you think I'd be a great fit for, 
I welcome a recommendation. That's very easy for you to be like, well, you know, I can't think of a show that, that is a great fit and that's okay. Right. Or that pitch person can say and be a little bit more specific about here's why I think it would be a fit. If you're looking for that angle right now, there's your excuse. We're not focused on that angle right now. So you can see how quickly you can find that little clause to add to give that person permission. And I think it's also great because in a way it gives you some permission because you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of scared to ask. I don't know. Oh, I don't want to put them out. I want to be mm, too you know, aggressive or, or make them uncomfortable. It's sort of like, well, if that little bridge uh, lets you get over the hump so that you can make the request that needs to get made, then it will just great for you yourself psychologically. Exactly. And we have to get over the hurdle of asking. Mm-hmm. I forget that you can ask half the time. I'm so accustomed to to asking somebody else what they need and trying to be helpful and being give and all of that. But I have to remember, and we all have to remember that that we are allowed to ask as well. And it's much easier to ask when you have a mindset of that generous spirit, which I know we'll get to, because even if you haven't given to the person you're asking something of, when you know you have that mindset, it gives you permission to put a request out to the universe because you give to the universe. And I know that sounds a little bit hoo-ha, but energy is exponential. Right. Well, let's, if you suck about hoo-ha in the universe. So, so yeah, let's talk about <laughs> abundance for a second because okay. you know, that can go on any number of interpretations. So uh, when you say they, they believe in abundance, what precisely do you mean by that? Well, when I originally wrote the chapter, I said, people come from a place of abundance versus scarcity. And then I just kind of wanted to get rid of the negativity. And I just said, they believe in abundance. And I don't want people to think that abundance means that you have a Pollyanna attitude and everything is just rose-colored glasses. That's not what abundance is. But abundance is the belief and the mindset that there is enough and that what is right now doesn't mean that's how it has to stay. So I always think back to my time in my finance days. Usually they don't put in my bio that I'm a recovering CPA, Mm -hmm. uh, but I did spend 10 years in the field of finance. And when I started, there was only one female partner in the firm. And so it was a scarce accomplishment for a woman to rise to the top. And at that time, women were very competitive with each other because it was you or me. And that is a scarce attitude. Gotcha. Yeah. An abundant attitude would be, okay, there might only be one now, but who's to say there can't be a hundred in a few years. And it's open to the possibility of more. And for me, it enabled me to start because I will tell you, this one's hard for me. I grew up as a without And it was hard for me to move from that knowing place of of protectiveness and defensiveness and scarcity and, you know, and and keep what you have because you might not have it to a place of, I don't have competitors. I have a lot of strategic partners. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of potential people to collaborate with, but I've got nobody to compete with. Right. Yeah. I think that that's a nice way to think about it in terms of, of abundance. It's, it's not that we have to fight for a, a limited slice of, of anything, you know, because there could just be more, you know, of, of that stuff. I keep bringing it back to podcasts because I guess, you know, when you have a mic in your face, that's what you're thinking of is that I think that. So I would say, oh, you know, there's a finite amount of time that uh, someone can listen to a podcast in the course of their day and therefore, you might think of other podcasters as competitors, but you know, I really don't. 
you know, I, I think it's like, well, I, I think if you have enough really good, engaging shows <laughs> out there, you'll just sort of reallocate time as a listener away from something, you know, less, you know, compelling, you know, maybe in terms of lower quality, you know, TV or, or, or talk radio or, or whatever. So I, I'm right with you there is it's not about competing with others for a, a finite number of spots. But if you, especially if you're getting creative, you can grow the number of spots. Yeah, or even a finite number of guests. Yeah. I, you know, I know a lot of podcasters that, you know, have the same guests. And, and I was on one last week and he was saying, one of the things about abundance is not to judge yourself or compare yourself to others. It's to really kind of have your own measures against yourself. Because as soon as we start doing that others, then we're coming from a scarce place. Right. When I was thinking about abundance, I was wondering... In terms of, I, I think when it comes, I enjoy connecting. I think it's a lot of fun to build relationships, hang out, chat with people, and and become you know friendlier. And I, I guess where where I get hung up a little bit is the extent to which time spent doing that that is with opportunity costs potentially at the expense of I don't know cranking out you know deliverables, work product, whatever. And and I'm sort of wondering, well, well, how much is is optimal? in terms of the the allocation of time because in a way you know if i'm you know doing stuff on on linkedin with folks or at you know i don't know a networking event a cocktail party etc then that i'm not like producing you know a document or a podcast episode or or whatever and so i guess it's about that clear vision again is is what is the the best amount of time to spend uh doing the the people stuff versus the the other stuff because you know, your thesis here is that those connections let you get, you know, more done faster, better. But at the same time, you are spending less time sort of doing the thing itself. Totally get it. The struggle is real. It is one of my biggest challenges is finding the time. And one of the, I have these mindset missions throughout the book so that you can think about how you can incorporate that mindset into your interactions. And in this chapter, the mindset mission is about investing time, but there's also finding time. And there's a lot of time that is underutilized. Now I'm all for downtime and I believe in it wholeheartedly. And if that's what you are intending to do at that time, then don't do anything else. But there are times where it is just underutilized. For example, lunches, we often are just doing that at our desk. You're not really being efficient with your work. That's a great time to actually once a week, it doesn't have to be every day. Just once a week, have a meal with somebody else. It can be right in the building. It could be right in the kitchen area. It doesn't, you don't have to go out and make it crazy, but just spend a little time with somebody else. Your commute time is another underutilized time. You're not really down time, but I've shared commutes with people and as ways to catch up. I've done emails, you know, reconnecting with people while I'm commuting. That's great found time. And if you're a driver, it's a great time to be on the phone. They can keep you company. Mm -hmm. For me, anytime I'm in food coma is a great underutilized time because my brain's not really functioning after I eat. So I might as well schedule a call after lunch every day and just do a catch up until the food digests and I can use my brain again. That's very clever. Yes. I always say, do the things that you're doing and invite people to do them with you. So I used to do dog walk playdates. I met somebody at the dog park that I ended up hiring on my team. I do the circuit at the gym and I will get in a group with 
some people to catch up with the moms from school or somebody who is also writing a book or whoever it might be that's in the gym that day. You can capitalize on the things that you're already doing and invite people who might be interested in doing them with you. I love it. I love it. Well, well, tell me then, what's the conscientious part about? So I'm so glad you went there because when you were talking about the podcasting and people asking you for things, I'm like, oh, you're going right into the conscientious mindset because connectors do what they say they're going to do. They follow up, they follow through. And in order to be conscientious and to have that mindset, you need to be very clear on what you're willing to say yes to and be comfortable saying no and setting boundaries. So one of the things I talk about in this chapter is know how to say no and know how to say yes. And yes and no are never just yes or no. There's yes if and yes after and yes when and yes with and there's no but. Yes if, yes when, yes after, <laughs> not yes but. The but goes with the no. Oh, I hear you. No is hard, but we might say no not at this time, no but this, no but somebody else can, right? So you might not be able to do something that they're asking, but here's something else. And it feels a lot better for everybody. Right. I think it might be an Austin Powers movie where they say, uh, short answer, yes, with an if, long answer, no, with a but, which is kind of what I'm thinking about and giggling right now. Okay. Uh, so to... don't know that line, but I'm loving it now. <laughs> I, watch the movie. <laughs> I, I think it's from an Austin Powers, but we'll, we'll make sure to link to that. That's very important for the show notes. So we'll, we'll cover that, but I like that a lot. So I want to hear some of your favorite ways to say no. You, you sort of offered some alternative resources they could look at two or, or different timings. So, cause saying no is, is tricky for some people. So how do you do it? Well, one of the things I do is I give them a way that they can get a yes later. So for you, if you're, somebody wants to come on your show and, and it's not the right fit right now, you might say, well, when you have written a book or when you mm-hmm. are focused on this area, you can give them a when they could get a yes from you. For me, I get a lot of people asking me to come do talks and I have a pro bono calendar and I'm happy for nonprofits and for you know causes that I think are wonderful to come out and do a talk. But I'm also trying to set boundaries because my husband <laughs> literally had me put the word no on my computer for over a year until the sticky gave out <laughs> to give myself permission to say no because I was saying yes to everything and then you stretch yourself too thin. And I remind myself that saying no to something is saying yes to something else. And sometimes that saying yes to something is saying yes to yourself or your family or that downtime. Yes. That was a mindset to become more conscientious of what I was agreeing to. And so when somebody would ask me to do a free talk and they were like, yeah, we have 30 people and it's an hour from your house during rush hour, but we'll buy you dinner. Right. (laughs) I can't eat when I'm talking anyway. So, and it wasn't really about the dinner. It was, no, I can't do that. But I'll tell you what, if you can get a couple organizations together and get me a couple hundred people, and if they'll each buy a book in advance, I will come down. Right. Or something along those lines that say, here's how I can say yes to you. Well, and I'm intrigued when you say that you're saying no to something is saying yes to something else. And, and that's getting me thinking of, did you have, as you were learning to say no better, a particular sort of, you know, default comparison point in, in terms of, hey, if I say no to that, I'm saying yes to this particular other thing, whether it's myself or family or, or a paid speaking engagement or, or, or whatnot. So I, I'm thinking like that really strikes me as a means of if you can establish a clear bar 
in terms of what am I comparing this to? Because in a way, you're comparing it to everything. The opportunity cost means mm-hmm. you could do anything else in the world if you weren't doing that thing. But did you have any sort of go-to comparison points? Like, is this more worthwhile than X? Um, it's a really good point. I love that. I don't know if I really did. I think at any given time that I was being asked, it was what was on my mind at that moment. But what I was finding was I was being asked to do things that I just didn't have capacity. And so in my mind, I was leaving myself open for potential and for opportunity. And I was also really okay with a day on the couch. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's good. If you compare that to, to that alone and you, that's working for you. Okay, cool. Well, and so also when you said conscientious that what I thought you were going to go with that as well is just the notion of the follow-up. I mean, it's so common that the follow-up just never happens. And I want to get your take on, do you have any pro tips for, for bringing about more consistency? If, if you say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll send you the name of that, that contractor or, oh, I'll make sure to send you, you know, whatever. It, it seems like uh, there's a lot of verbal promises made that, that don't um, materialize in my experience. So uh, what are your tips there? We all need our own systems and I'm happy to share mine. That is one of the things that a connector does. They follow through. They do what they say they're going to do. And they do things in a certain way. You know, I talk about how does a connector do things in the book? Like, how do they make an introduction? How do they follow up? How do, you know, whatever that is that they might do, they do it in a particular way. For me, I'm often saying those things. I think about the anatomy of a conversation as looking for the next point of contact. So if in your mindset, if you're relationship-based, you're looking for the reason to stay in touch with somebody. You're looking for that connection point. And I'm always looking for that in that conversation. And once I find it in the conversation, I feel that it's okay for the conversation to end because I know the relationship can continue. So uh, what I will do is, depending on the situation, if I have a card, I will write something on the back of their card. I have a graveyard of business cards in my office. I mean, I'm looking at the pile that probably is over a foot tall. Mm -hmm. If I stack them all on top of each other, if that card did not have something written on the back, they probably did not get a follow up because you can't. And it's okay that you cannot follow up with every single person. But if you know what the follow up is going to be, it's much easier to do it. If I don't have a business card, I will actually take my phone out and I'll put it right in my to do list. I don't use the tasks. I actually just literally put it as like a calendar item at all day event. It shows up at the top of my calendar and I'll say, connect so and so to so and so or send so and so something. And then I don't have to think about it because my calendar will tell me and I'm a slave to my calendar. I like that a lot. OmniFocus is my tool of choice there. And uh, it's beautiful when your mind feels free to not have to remember and hold those things. It's it's there and you don't have to worry. It's going to get done and and you can continue with life. Well, I, I want to talk, we're, just, we're talking tools now, so let's keep it going. Uh, yeah, I wanted to hear more about your tool. Oh, oh, sure. Well, well OmniFocus, it's... um. A, have you heard of it or seen it in action? No. Oh, it's a dream. It it is software for the the Mac and iOS. It's so nifty in that you can take a task or, or action and just do everything with it in a way like some people say whoa this is overkill and and it can be so you can take a task and then you could add it from your phone and just like one button just super quick and then that's sort of like the fundamental unit so if you wanted to you could choose to tag it with the context in which you can do it or assign it to a particular project give it a a due date or a flag or tagging with certain you know resources or people you need to be with you maybe add the amount of 
time it needs to uh, take. You, you can add a audio recording or a panda note. So, so that's what's nifty is that you have the ability to manipulate it any way you could conceive of wanting to manipulate it. Or if you just want to snag it and make sure you didn't forget it, you could just simply do that too. So, so I like that it has the simplicity and beauty, but it also has the power. It does sound a little overwhelming. <laughs> if you just want to, hey, here's my to-do list, but here's 15 things and I'm checking them as I do, that works as well. But I, I guess what I dig is how when you put them in by project, so I'll get tons of ideas like every day. And then I can sort of bring them into their respective project areas. And, and so then when I am ready to kind of move forward, it's like, you know what, let's get some podcast growth going. And I could say, oh, hey, great. Over the last three months, you know, here are the dozens of ideas that I've had all right there. And I think that's pretty cool. I think it's all about what you get used to that makes you efficient. And you know, you were talking about tools. I, I love Outlook. Mm -hmm. For me, it is everything. I color code my calendar. So I have conditional formatting where I put the word call in an item. It turns out orange. If oh, I put cool. the word meeting, it turns out blue. And so I can visually very easily see how I can plot my day. And I try to do calls on certain days and meetings on certain days. And I even have a note for video. So I know whether or not I have to put makeup on if I'm going to be on oh. one of these shows. <laughs> so I don't use the task functionality you know, with the flag and the, I don't need to add the layers to it. Right. I have my own system of putting everything in the uh, all day event. And then every day I look and if I did it, I get to delete it and I don't even see it anymore or I move it over. Uh -huh. And then I can also say, okay, follow up with so-and-so I'll put in a note, last contact, certain date, or I'll put the text of the email or whatever it might be so that I have the quick way to find um, the information rather than having to search, who is this person I have a call with three months from now? Why do I have a call with them? It's all right there and very easy. Well, that's excellent. Yes. And so I think that you're right. Some people can get sort of uh, zealous <laughs> about their systems or their tools like this is the way. But I'd say, hey, if, if you feel like your brain is is clear and not uh, oppressed with uh, remembering and and you're not uh, forgetting and embarrassing yourself, that uh, that it sounds like you you got a workable system. But if and if it's not the case, well, hey, maybe think about your system. Uh, maybe it's Outlook. Maybe it's OmniFocus. Maybe it's uh, the Notes app in your phone. Uh, but whatever it takes. Uh, I want to hear your take on LinkedIn connecting and LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I actually do a whole chapter on on tech tools um, with a major focus on LinkedIn. If we think about the entirety of the virtual world, there are so many platforms out there and there are great ways to connect. What I tell people in terms of choosing your platform for me, my main platform is LinkedIn, is think about where you already are, where you like to be, and where are the people you connect with. If you are in a very visual field, if your job is in graphics or architecture or, or design or anything like that, even food, <laughs> mm -hmm. You might want to be in, in Pinterest or Instagram because they're very visual. If you are more of a B2C in your work, you might want to be on Facebook because that's a little bit more of the individual, whereas LinkedIn is a little bit more, it's B2 individual, but it's also B2B as a business platform. That's just kind of a big picture as you think about what platforms to be on because you can't be on them all. You'll stretch yourself too thin. If you think about like, I don't have enough time in the day then really focus on one or two platforms and not on all of them. Right. And the show notes. Yeah. I know you're going to put all my social media in the show notes, but I usually do direct people to LinkedIn. Like, you know, that's the place I'm spending the most time. What my tips are, I have tons of them. Where, where do you want me to start? <laughs> 
Oh, sure. Well, I'd say, what what are most of us doing wrong on LinkedIn? The biggest mistake that I don't think I'm seeing as frequently anymore, but I still see it. The biggest mistake is not having a picture okay, or having a picture that is not kind of a head and shoulders clean shot. Like, unless what you do is related to what that picture is, like if you're a snowboarder or something like that, it shouldn't be a glamour shot. It shouldn't be a motorcycle shot. It shouldn't be a cartoon of you unless you're a cartoonist. It should really be able to say, okay, I can recognize that person if I pass them on the street. Right. So that's one of the biggest things. The other biggest thing is, and sometimes the app is at fault for this, is connecting to somebody without a personalized note. Right. And and I don't mean without like that note that says, I'd like to add you to my professional network on LinkedIn. Like, don't give me that canned message. Uh-huh. <laughs> As you're saying that it's, it's partially the app's fault because sometimes when you push it, you don't even know that it's automatically doing that. Yeah. Sometimes when, if I try to do it on my desktop a little bit more than on my phone, because I find when I try to connect somebody on my phone, it doesn't allow me to put that note. And so what I try to do, if that happens, is then I will go then send a message. Um, but if they haven't connected, then, you know, so it's, it just is easier if you can send the note from the onset. And sometimes it works on the phone and sometimes it doesn't. So we'll tell LinkedIn that. But I always just tell people to be personal. Why are you reaching out? I actually reached out to somebody today because my chiropractor watched his show and was talking about him. And he started talking about him in a way that was kind of like, I do all those things. Oh, this is somebody I should know. So I reached out to him and said, my chiropractor likes your show. And it sounds like we do a lot of the same things. We'd love to connect. Gotcha. That was the note. That's well, good. That's good. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's just a little bit of context, you know, <laughs> because otherwise, I don't, I don't know. And they know it's real. They know it's not like a bot. Okay. That's kind of fun. That, that'll get somebody's <laughs> attention. I also love to look at shared contacts. If you are a second contact with somebody, go look at the shared contacts and then look for that obscure person. Like how the heck do they know that person? I went to camp with. Yeah. And then I'll say like, how do you know Joe Schmo? I went to summer camp with him when I was 13 years old. You know? And then you have that, you know, now we're kind of going to my first book, which is the law of likabilities. That's that law of similarity and that law of association. People like people like them and people like people who they know. So it kind of gives you that we have this person in common and it's not just another contact. It's somebody I really know. And it can start a great conversation. Absolutely. Do you think about the keywords at all with regard to what's in your profile and how you're representing yourself and what's findable? Yes, but maybe not as much as I should, but yes. <laughs> Any pro tips there? I do think if you go down to that skills section, that really helps a lot with the SEO and the searchability. Yeah, people will give you those recommendations, but even just having those phrases within your profile will help you come up in the search. The other thing I would say is, unless there's a reason not to, then I suggest connecting to more people than less. I don't have Lion. I'm not a LinkedIn open networker. But if if I can find a reason, if I don't think you're going to spam me or ask me for my hand in marriage, which I've had happen a few times. <laughs> <laughs> you're making an impression, Michelle. <laughs> I've had these notes where it says, I know this is not, but I was taken by your smile. And I'm just like, oh, no, block, you know. But unless it's going to be one of those, then you are going to increase your search by being connected to more people because it expands your network and you're more second in line and you'll come up in other people's searches. So it helps you to be connected to more people. Sometimes people are really stringent with it. And I used to be a little bit more stringent with it. I really wanted to know who was in my network. But what I started to realize was if I was willing to receive a request from somebody in my network and ask a request from somebody in my LinkedIn network, even if they were weak ties, 
then I would be willing to say yes to those connections. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, well, tell me any other final tips when it comes to maybe the the maintenance of authentic relationships, uh, because it can be quite easy to kind of lose touch with with folks, especially if you're connecting with a lot of them. How do you go about the maintenance mode? That's a great question. And it's never too long. That's the one thing I want people to remember. It is never too long because some people are like, well, what's too long before you know you can't really reach out anymore? There's no such thing. You know how many emails I have sent that had a subject line, been too long mm-hmm. or thinking about you or let's reconnect and just yeah. owning the fact that yeah, you lost touch or yeah, it's been a while. Just really doing those little light touches to just keep in somebody's mind without getting in their face. So that's your subject line, been too long. Then what's the rest of the message? And then I'll send a note saying, you know, hey, you just popped into my head wondering what you've been up to. Here's my quick update. Let's catch up. Beautiful. Like, it, you know, two, three sentences. You're you're spending less than three minutes on the effort of just putting yourself back into somebody's mind. And even if they don't respond, you still put yourself back into the front of their mind. Well, and, and now I'm wondering, is it the, if you had to put a number on it, what proportion of those messages uh, get a reply? I would say the majority of mine do, to be honest with you. Sure. And I use different formats. Sometimes I'll use email. This week, I actually reached out to somebody on Facebook Messenger because I know that's where she is. And it's somebody who I know she's not a strong relationship, but I also know she's going through something. And so I sent a little note on Facebook Messenger saying, hey, I was just thinking about you. Hope somebody in her world is ill. And I said, you know, hope your your friend's feeling better. That, That was it. She was on at that moment. And she instant messaged me back. And we had like a a quick three or four back and forths. And that was that. And she knew I cared. And that's all you're really trying to do in maintenance is to say, I care. I'm thinking about you. I want to stay in your world. You're important enough to me to make an effort. Got it. That's it. All right. Any final thoughts before we hear about your favorite things? Oh, I know these favorite things. I I, I don't know if I remember. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're new. <laughs> we'll see. The diligent listener might compare. <laughs> I, I don't remember all of them, but um, hopefully I'll, I'll have some good answers for you. All right. But so, okay, let me have it. I'm ready. All right. How about a favorite quote? One of my favorite quotes is actually from a song, you're never fully dressed without a smile. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I don't know if this is a favorite, but I've actually recently was just looking at a study. So it's front of mind. It was the decision to attend study because I was looking at why do people say yes to going to certain networking conferences or social events? And actually networking was one of the top three reasons. So I thought it was really interesting. And how about a favorite book? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If we're doing business books. Oh, sure. If we're doing non-business books, I have a whole nother list. (laughs) Well, I'll take one from the other list as well. Anything Ayn Rand, anything Frank McCourt. What did I read recently? Oh, Ellie Oliphant is perfectly fine was very good. (laughs) And how about a favorite tool? So that helps you be awesome at your job. Well, we already talked a little bit about Outlook and LinkedIn. Those are probably two of my favorites. All right. And a favorite habit? I don't know if I really have habits. That's intriguing right there. (laughs) I think I will get into habits, but then get out of habits. I'm very inconsistent (laughs) with structure. And I think maybe being unstructured is my habit. (laughs) That's fascinating. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if that's a good answer. No, well, I mean, I'm wondering, are are you unstructured at recurring times of the day? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay. Maybe the only habit I can think of is that there's typically always a jigsaw puzzle on my dining room table. How's that? Oh, no kidding. That is interesting. (laughs) My brother's amazing at puzzles and, and somehow I'm not. <laughs> he is two to three times faster than I am at putting together puzzles. It's amazing. I love them. I find them meditative. It really is soothing in terms of you, you got nothing else to do. 
and it takes all, at least for me, takes all my brain power or, or the vast majority to continue making progress on a puzzle. So I can't worry about anything else. Yeah, I've got a monkey brain and it's always thinking about a million things. But when you're focused on a puzzle, everything else falls by the wayside, which is why I find it very calming. And is there a particular nugget that is really seeming to connect and resonate with folks uh, from the book? Maybe it's, it's highlighted or, or retweeted a lot. Yeah, actually, the last line of the book, it's that networking is something that you do but a connector is someone that you are. Okay. Yeah. That, that feels very retweetable, but, but you, I hope hopefully you haven't ruined the book. If they spoiled the ending there, No, <laughs> that's just, that's just kind of like a way to like land it. <laughs> Certainly. That was one of my favorite jokes is a, is a nonfiction book. And they said, Oh, tell me how it ends. <laughs> Zing. Uh, and if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? The best place to start is my website, which is Michelle with two L's, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. From there, you can get to my YouTube. I do videos on my blog. You can find all that social media that we we're talking about. But if you want to get the book, go to the connectorsadvantage.com. I'm giving bonuses away. Even after the pre-order period, I'm going to leave those bonuses up so that you get some extra goodies when you get the book. Oh, thank you. I'm actually telling people to BOGO with the book, to buy one, gift one, and use the book as a means to reconnect with someone. Clever, yeah. And you have a final call to action or challenge for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Pick three. Pick three people. I want you to pick one person that you've lost touch with from your childhood, your college days, your last job um, that you want to reconnect with, one person that is in your existing life that you want to strengthen a relationship with, and then one person of your choice. Pick three, have those people's names in your mind, and then find one way to reach out to them within the next week. Beautiful. Well, Michelle, it's been a lot of fun once again. I wish you lots of luck with your book, The Connector's Advantage, and all your other adventures. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. I particularly love Michelle's tip associated with catching up with friends during the food coma time. And this sort of syncs up with some of the great insights we've heard from other guests about using peak mental energy or the optimal time for everything with your body with Dr. Michael Bruce. And I think that's so brilliant is because I may not be able to do much really good computer, smart, creative, attentive, detail-oriented, precise work in any way, shape, or form, but I could totally pull off chat with a friend and lying down, maybe walking on a treadmill or being seated and, and zoning into space while listening. So I thought that was pretty smart is that you can find pockets of time that you aren't making good use of and apply them to staying connected with your networks and just being plugged into your sources of rejuvenation and inspiration and, and fun. So I hope you dug that and more from Michelle. Again, the show notes, transcript, links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F411. And if you haven't already, hope you push subscribe to hear from our next guest. It's Todd Herman. He's got a really cool perspective associated with alter egos, how you can step into character and improve your performance that way. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.